chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is one of the classic passages that describes the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul is going through this description and, and explaining what the Lord's Supper is all about simply because the church at Corinth had misused the Lord's Supper. They were turning it into a time of feasting. They were turning it into a time of getting together and just uh, having, having uh, dinner and, and uh, withholding food from some people and giving food and showing favoritism to others. The whole thing had turned into a carnal mess. And the Lord comes, comes through the Apostle Paul and, and explains and sets straight what the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper is. So with that in mind, let's all stand together, if you would. And if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please allow them to look on with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read verses 23 down through verse 26. Verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, Till he come. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I am thankful, particularly at this time of year when our thoughts and our minds uh, go to the cross, go to, the, to thinking about what Jesus Christ did for us. Honestly, Lord, we ought to be thinking about it all year long, but particularly around Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday before, the, the Sunday of we, we think about what you did for us. We think about how important it was that you left heaven, came down to earth, took on the form of man, God in the flesh. And 33 and a half years after you were born, you became the living sacrifice for our sins. I'm so thankful, so thankful for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the payment that you made. God, help us to understand it a little bit more clearly tonight, today. This morning, we ask, Father, that you would just guide and direct and give us, give us ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see. Speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice, whether it's here or at home because they're watching it or listening to it online or even later, God, I pray that they would... If they, if they do not know Christ as Savior, may they realize that, that, Lord, you died for them. You didn't just die for the whole world. You died for them personally. And you paid for their sin. May they see that today. May they trust you as Savior. We just ask, God, that you would have your will and your way in our hearts and lives as the word of God is preached. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
According to the Bible, there's two ordinances that the Lord left for the local church. Those two ordinances are simply, are simply the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, the Lord's Supper shows the death of Christ. If you, look, if you look at verse 26, it really gives in a synopsis what the Lord's Supper is all about. It says, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Now, it is not a separate or another sacrifice. Religions have taken this thing and said, well, every time you take the Lord's Supper, you crucify Christ and he dies afresh. It's a fresh sacrifice. It's not a fresh sacrifice. It's a memorial. It's something that you remember, that you look back at. Uh, the Bible never teaches that it's that. And by the way, uh, again, there are churches in this town that teach that 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 uh, uh, that juice and that that uh, that bread turn into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is heresy. That is that is false teaching. That is not what the Scripture says. The scripture makes it very plain. That it's a memorial. What's a memorial? It's something that you do in remembrance of. Uh, Brother Reuben Ewart's going to be having, uh, I believe it's on, I believe it's Monday, they're having uh, visitation and then memorial services. Well, obviously, he's not coming back because he's in heaven and he don't want to come back at this point. But, but the truth is, is that uh, they're having a memorial. They want, they want to remember Brother Ewart. Well, that's, what, that's really what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's a memorial. It allows us to remember the death of Jesus Christ. And it, 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 it uh, is used as an illustration, an object lesson, I guess you could call it, of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Now, that's a picture of the death. And then, of course, the baptism is a picture of resurrection. The fact that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the reason why we baptize by immersion, because that's what it's a picture of. And uh, uh, the very first act, according to the Bible, of, of obedience after salvation is baptism. The Bible says they, in, in Acts chapter 2, where many got saved, says they that gladly received his word were baptized. Why were they baptized? Well, because they had gladly received his word. They had trusted him as Savior. They didn't get baptized to be saved. They got baptized because they were saved, because they did trust Jesus Christ as Savior. So the Lord's Supper pictures the death and the baptism uh, pictures the resurrection. Those are the two ordinances that God has, has left for us. And, and the, as, as I've already said, the, the Lord's Supper pictures the broken body and the blood that was shed when Christ died on the cross. And by the way, just, just as an addendum, uh, he did not die on the cross on Friday. Uh, you, it is impossible. And I know I've heard people try to do it, and it's the most convoluted mess you ever want to hear. But it's impossible to get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. You just can't get it. What when he died was on when he died was on Wednesday, and he rose again basically Saturday night. Saturday night is the beginning of Sunday of the first day of the week 
for the Jews because the Bible says the, in the creation, the evening and the morning were the first day. So, so the Jews' day actually starts in the evening. But, uh, but he, he wasn't crucified on a Friday. He was crucified on a Wednesday. How did he die? What was the, what was the manner of death? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Under what circumstances and situations did the Lord Jesus Christ die on the cross for us? Peter, in Acts chapter 2, is preaching. And he's preaching primarily to Jewish people. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, actually go to verse 22, it says, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Tells us that, that they wickedly crucified the Savior. Uh, they, they took him and they, they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet to the cross. They pierced his side with a spear. Uh, the, the blood was shed and the body was broken. And it was broken for us. Uh, the whole reason why God allowed that to take place. And, and you know, just, just thinking about it, it's hard to wrap your mind totally around the whole, the whole ordeal. But here is, here is God made flesh. Jesus Christ was the fullness and is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And here he is made flesh, dying on the cross for sin that he did not commit. He never committed a sin. He never violated God's law. He never even thought, never even contemplated doing that which was wrong. He never did. Why? Because he was God and he was totally, absolutely, completely sinless. And it, it, you really see the contrast even, even between verses 22 and 23 in Acts 2. Look at it. It says, Ye men of, of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Well, he did all those things because he was God in the flesh. And so in verse 22, it says how pure and good and right and perfect he was. Then you go down to verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by, by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They wickedly killed him uh, even though he was innocent and he died willingly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Go with me there if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be looking up several different scriptures this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. And verses 2 and 3. Tells us to look unto Jesus. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Uh, what he went through, the death that he, that he experienced was shameful. Uh, it, was, it, 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 it was something to, that endured contradiction. And, and again, uh, the contradiction was, here he was perfect. Here he was God, God in the flesh. And he was dying for the sins of those of us who are sinful, uh, which is all of us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And notice it says he's the author and the finisher of, of our faith. In other words, it starts with him, it ends with him. It does not start and end with us. It's simply, it's just something, something that we believe. But when it comes to the act of getting our sins forgiven, when it comes to the act of, of uh, being right before God and having God forgive all your sins and give you eternal life. It has nothing to do with anything you have or ever will do. You do nothing to get it. You do nothing to keep it. The whole work was done by God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ did the entire work when he died on that cross. And it was a shameful death. And then it was a contradiction because here you've got pure, holy God dying for wicked, sinful men. And that's you and I. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3, and this takes it even a step further. And this just really helps us to understand what all encompassed the death of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Galatians 3.13 says, Brethren, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. It says that he was cursed. Now, understand who this is. The Bible says that Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. The reason why you draw breath is because of him. And yet he was the one, the creator of everything that is here. He is the one who was cursed for you. We should be cursed. We're the ones that have done wrong. He's done nothing wrong. And yet he took that curse. He became a curse for us when he died on the cross. Go with me over to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John's fourth gospel, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, look in verse 18. John chapter 10, verse 18, and Jesus is talking about his death. He's not, he's not been crucified yet. This is prior to that. He's talking about the good shepherd. And he is the good shepherd. In verse 10, uh, ch chapter 10, I'm sorry, and verse, verse 18, it says, No man taketh it from me, speaking of his life, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. When Jesus Christ died, nobody had to wrestle him to the cross. Nobody had to make him hold his hands still. Uh, nobody had to do anything by force. He willingly, voluntarily laid down his life so that we could live. Take your Bibles and go backwards now, all the way to the book of Isaiah. And go to Isaiah chapter 53. Of course, the, the verses that we, we have read described and the fulfillment of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But in Isaiah chapter 53, in the Old Testament, God foretells about Christ's death on the cross. And it's, it's given in, in quite a bit of detail, verses 1 through 12 in Isaiah 53. And this is all speaking about Jesus Christ. He had not come to earth yet. Obviously, it's in the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. But it's predicting not only that he will come, but what he'll do for us. In verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up, speaking of Jesus, he shall grow up, uh, him, uh, grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Not for his, because he never did one. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And that just... That just reiterates the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There, is no, there are no exceptions. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was aff afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Doesn't mean he's stupid. It just means that he did not speak. He did not, he did not cry out. He did, not, he did not fight them in any way. He gave absolutely no resistance. And verse 8 says, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He wasn't stricken for himself, he was stricken for us. Verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge 
uh, shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Jesus Christ. That's your Savior. That's mine. And he, he, that, what his death accomplished was paying for all of our sins and all of our transgressions. Now, what, what does the death of Christ mean to us? What is it that the death of Christ is for us? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter Chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, not, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, toward the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 2, look with me in verse, in verse 2. There are several things that his death meant for us and did for us. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he, well, let's go on up to verse 1. My, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now he's writing to people that have trusted Christ as Savior. He's, he's writing to save people. And he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's a big, long word that we don't use a whole lot anymore, but it's the word propitiation. And propitiation just simply means that the, the wrath of God that was upon us was appeased by Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that we gained God's favor through his death. So we got, we, the a wrath was appeased, that gives us mercy. The favor of God was gained that gives us grace. Now turn, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And this really puts in perspective why a propitiation was need to be needed to be made for us and why that wrath had to be appeased. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read a lengthy section we're going to read verse 5 down through the end of the chapter. In, 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 um, I'm sorry, we're going to read verse 6 down through the end of the chapter. It says, For when we were yet without strength, this is talking about before we trusted Christ as Savior, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. By the way, when it says ungodly, it's not talking about somebody else. It's talking about you. It's not talking about somebody else. It's talking about me. It says, Christ died for us. We were ungodly. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a, a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if... When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, 
but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, of course, that's Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was, was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Catch that word gift. It shows up over and over again here from here to the end. But now, not as the offense, so, uh, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In that passage, in those, in those verses from 6 to 21, God tells what we were, tells us what we are, and why the death of Christ was so necessary. It was necessary because we were without strength. It says that we were ungodly. It says that we were sinners. It says that we were enemies of God before you got saved. Uh, we were condemned. We were disobedient. We were offenders of God. All of those things are what made the death of Christ absolutely essential so that he might be the propitiation. He might be the, 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 the uh, thing that caused God's wrath to be appeased and us to gain favor with God. Not only is he our propitiation, but he's also our substitution. Uh, go back, if you would, with me to, to the book of John again. You're in Romans, go backwards to Acts, and then the book of John, John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, look with me in verse 11. John chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In other words, Jesus Christ was our substitute. He stood in our place and he took what we should have gotten. He died for our sins, though he committed no sins at all, though he was totally innocent, though he was total, not just innocent, he was totally pure. 
He was totally holy. He was totally righteous uh, in, in, that, in that fleshly body. And, uh, and yet he took our place. There's a, there's a song, and I enjoy the song. It's called, I Should Have Been Crucified. I Should Have Suffered and Died. I Should Have Died in I can't remember the words now, but uh, I should have died in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. Uh, Jesus is our substitute. He was the one that took our place on the cross. And he was the innocent taking the punishment for the guilty. And then not only was he our substitution, but he's also our redemption. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and in 1 Peter 1, look with me in verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Uh, he was our redemption. He purchased uh, our salvation, and he, he paid for our sins with his blood, and his blood is called the precious blood of Christ. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ, we'd still be bound in sin. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ, you could have no forgiveness. But the blood was shed so that that blood could be the payment and could be the, the, re, the redemptive price so that our, our sins could be forgiven. And not only is, is he the propitiation and substitution and, and redemption, but he's also our reconciliation. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5, where we were just a minute ago. Romans chapter 5, and look at two verses. Look at verses 10 and 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we, now, we have now received the atonement talks about reconciliation. Uh, we were reconciled to God. And again, like we said before, we were against God. According to verse 6, we were ungodly. Verse 8 says we were sinners. Verse 10 says we were his enemies. That was all changed by Christ dying on the cross. Uh, he died so that we could go from enemy to friend. We di he died so we could go from condemned to freed and, 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 and have that salvation, that free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, go with me, if you would, to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. And this is, the, this is the conversation that the Lord Jesus Christ had with <clears throat> with Nicodemus. And he's talking about being born again, talking about how a person can, can have his sins forgiven. And in John chapter 3, in verse 16, 
It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then verse 18 is, 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 is such, a, such a, a pointed verse. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That makes the difference as to whether or not a person has plugged into that reconciliation. You can't be reconciled without, without believing on Jesus Christ. And, you know, one of the things I, I want to ask you the, this morning is, can you look back to a specific time in your life where you went from condemnation to forgiveness? Where you went from condemnation to eternal life? You know, I've, I've talked with, we were talking about this last night in men's prayer meeting, and, and uh, I have noticed over the years that the concept and the idea, even among Christian folks, safe, supposedly saved folks, um, in Christian circles, the concept of salvation, get, it just is muddy today. And it ought not to be muddy. It ought to be pretty, pretty cut and dried. Because the Bible says that before a person's saved, they're condemned. And after a person's saved, they're at liberty. They're free. They have eternal life. They're totally forgiven. That means there's one moment where you're, if you die, you die and go straight to hell. And the next moment, because of belief on Christ, and it's not something that you evolve into it's not something that is just a process that, no, no, no. There is a point in time where you go from death to life. You go from condemnation to a free man in Jesus Christ, a free person in Christ. Bible says that uh, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That didn't happen over a period of years. That happened in a moment's time. In that same talk that he's having about condemnation with Nicodemus, he said, except the man be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Just this week, uh, the Besners had a little baby girl. And uh, praise the Lord, that's, that's, a, that's a blessing. But you know what I know? I know there is a birth certificate somewhere, or there will be, a birth certificate that will say, say that that little girl was born at a particular time on a particular day in history. Her birth was at a moment. When I went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, it was... When I believed on Christ, it's a point in time. If you can't look back at, and I'm not saying you have to have the date and the time and all that kind of stuff, but if you can't look back at a point in time where you just simply said, Lord, you need to save me. I'm, I'm, I'm heading to hell. Uh, I am condemned. 
I'm not saying you have to use those words, but that concept's got to be there. When I walked into a church on North Reese Road in Rochester, New York, on February, February 19th, uh, 1969, I walked in condemned. When I walked out, I walked out freed. <laughs> I walked out alive. I walked out with eternal life. I walked in with, with a certificate of condemnation to hell for all eternity. When I walked out, and it had nothing to do with the church, and it had nothing to do with the man behind the desk that, that led me to Christ. It had everything to do with what took place in my heart, and I believed on Jesus Christ. I believed on him, and he became, at that moment in time, my Savior. And at that moment, things were made right between me and God. That's what reconciliation is. When everything is made right, because your sins are forgiven. And then the last thing, it's not, uh, his death is not only our propitiation and substitution and, and redemption and reconciliation, but it's our ransom. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, look with me in verse 28. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. It says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. What is a ransom? It's a price paid to release us from the holds of death. Death had a hold of you. Hell had a hold of you. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the price. Now, what has to happen is that price has to be applied to you personally. And that's where salvation comes in. That's, that's when you pass from, from death unto life. That's when you pass from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Well, we do that when we trust and believe on Christ and ask him to be our savior. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And again, the, the purpose of this message this morning is to, sh to show the Lord's death. That's what we'll be doing tonight when we participate in, in the Lord's Supper together. We'll be showing the Lord's death, but we need to understand what the Lord's death is. 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at me in verses 21 through 25. It says, For even thereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes... You were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. What did Christ do for us in his death? According to these verses, first of all, he suffered for us. He suffered for us. He, it was the, the sinless suffering for the sinners. He went through that for us. Secondly, 
He was verbally abused, but he never, he never verbally and physically abused. He never retaliated, never lifted up his voice, never, never said a word, never defended himself. And then thirdly, and most importantly, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. When he went to that cross, your sins went with him. When he went to that cross, my sins went with him. The sins of the world went with him, and he bore those sins in his body on the tree. Two questions for you this morning, and I'm done. Number one, are you saved? I mean, are you absolutely Can you look back to a time where you went from death to life? When, when you went from lost to saved, can you look back to a time? I, I can. I can. And I mean, it's, it, 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 was, it, was, it was the most important event in my entire life. There's nothing that's more important to me than my salvation. I'm thankful for the birth of my children. I'm thankful for marrying my wife. I'm thankful for, for becoming pastor of this church. Uh, all kinds of things that I can be thankful for. But nothing, nothing made the difference in my life like going from death to life. Going from condemnation to being forgiven in Jesus Christ. And the day that I got saved. You know, when did you go from, from being condemned to being forgiven, uncondemned, and free. And then secondly, if you're saved, does your life reflect gratitude for his death? You know, the, the Lord's Supper is to show the Lord's death until he come. Our lives are to show the effects of the Lord's death till he comes. You may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. Uh, someone, someone may never pick up a Bible, but they could hear the word of God from your lips. They can see the change that Jesus Christ has made in your life. And our lives ought to reflect the fact that we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but we are alive in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you would work in this service this morning and with all and any that are hearing this message. God, I pray if there's anyone this morning under the sound of my voice that has not trusted Christ or maybe it's, it's a muddy issue to them. Maybe it's not clear. Maybe they're unsure. I pray that they would not let the day go by without getting that thing settled and that they would get it settled right now. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts and have your will and way. I pray for those that are saved. May they look at their, at their lives and, and realize, realize what that death did for them. What that death did for all of us who have trusted Christ as Savior. We would be condemned and on our way to hell today if it wasn't for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would have your will and your way in our lives this morning. God, please speak to us through your word, by your spirit, and, and God, may the, may the death of Jesus Christ 
be shown forth through a changed life. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's stand, if you would, with heads bowed and eyes closed.